good evening, uh, one and all. This is week nine of Slugging It. We are creeping closer and closer to Toby Tarrant's February call of when we were going to uh, make it to. So, um, yeah, today's the 19th of January. Uh, my birthday. Uh, thanks Woo-hoo! for mentioning that. Lads, um, happy presents, uh, <laughs> <to> <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> presents and gift cards. Uh, welcome to info at sloggingit.co.uk. Uh, make sure that you address them for me rather than huge, otherwise, he'll start buying himself all sorts of techie nonsense and I won't see a penny of it. Um, yes, so uh, I, I digress, obviously, uh, as I tend to do most weeks. Uh, we have got a lot to get through. This week, we had an amazing interview that we recorded last night, which you'll be hearing later, which is uh, Sky Sports uh, and now freelance broadcaster Matt Floyd. Uh, we had an amazing conversation. Self-proclaimed with him. behemoth of broadcasting. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, fantastic I mean, description. Yeah, I mean, we were discussing earlier, weren't we? What we're going to call Sir Michael Parkinson? You know, after Floyd's called himself a behemoth. Um, <laughs> yeah, the god of all things, Sir Michael Parkinson, yeah. just to do just. To, just the uh, justification. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously you've heard from the two lads already, uh, but we should ask them how they're doing this week. Uh, I'm going to come to Simon first this week. I am good, mate. I am good, yes. Uh, the eye, for all those that were really worried about the uh, implications of things with the dog last week, the eye is healed. Uh, I did have a minor headbutting incident that split the lip, uh, however. But just so you're all aware, it's not the wife. But... Um, yeah, it's uh, things are good though, mate. Quarantine, lockdown, or well, not quarantine, but uh, self isolation. Yeah, day four, five, I think now is yeah. uh, is Boring. going well. Dull. Yeah, dull. But you're alive it's... and well, which is great. So um, yeah. yeah, and as yeah. I said, we've got a lot to get through. So shut up, yeah. uh, Eugene. How are you getting on? I have had nowhere near the same amount of coffee as Simon today, as you can see. <laughs> I think I liked your expression a little bit earlier and that somebody has not put 20p in him, they put two quid because he <laughs> is absolutely bouncy. But yeah, I'm you good, thanks, John. You are treat. <laughs> Trying to stop him on a normal uh, week's hard enough. But yeah, tonight I feel like we've got some management to do, uh, Eugene. Um, as I say, um, yeah, lots to look forward to with the, the Matt Floyd um, interview later on. But we will quickly, we want to quickly run over uh, this week in cricket. Um Australia, India, fair fucking play, India. I think that's amazing. Like, I, I stayed up to watch it. All the Aussies at the start of the day, Mark War, Shane Warne, you know, Hussey, Gilchrist, oh, you know, we can't see him doing this. Pajara is unbelievable. The mental strength, I mean, he got battered for a period. He got hit something like 11 or 12 times, some of them pretty nasty. And he just got himself back in and then off he went. Yeah, he got done LBW with the second new ball by Cummins, we won that jag back. But um, 45 he was off 200 balls at one point. And it's like, you know what, mate? Fair play to you. Um, just did everything that his country needed him to do. And and then to, for Pant to play another astounding innings and, and, you know, not only draw to retain it, but to actually win. And finally, someone beat the Aussies at the Gabba, which will have him shut up now because oh, we've not lost over 30 years. Fuck off. Um, we do like Australians for any Australians listening. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just nice that that's finally uh, a record that's been broken. Um, but yeah, what are your views, lads? 
Uh, it was amazing and fair play to them. Uh, when you look at the list of players they had out who either were out before the series. So there was a, a thing before this when they came over, there was a best Indian seam attack of all time a couple of years ago. They had none of those bowlers fit for the last game. So yeah. no Bumrah, no Yadav, no Shami, no, uh, what's Sharma. the all-rounder called? Um, yeah, no Sharma. You've got the all-rounder that fills a massive oh, role um, for them. He wasn't there. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, and Pandya. then to lose Pandya, yeah, Hardik Pandya, and then to lose Jadeja, Ashwin, no Chahal, who made England look like a right bunch of numpties last time he played here. Yeah. Coley. No Coley. No Coley. Your best batter goes home after getting bowled out for 36. And, and then all of a sudden they produce that performance. Um, with, with a B team. It's their, it's their second 11 pretty much, other than uh, Sharma and Gill. And, you know, I mean, Huge, I don't know what you think, um, but phenomenal, phenomenal result from an Indian perspective. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you think about Sriraj in his third test, I think it is, leading that seam attack, taking poles for fun. I think he took another five for in the second innings. Yeah. Just just what a what a player. I mean, I will say one thing. Um it was it was exciting cricket. You know, who said five days in test cricket needs to reduce to four? You wind your neck in now. This is it was it was absolutely phenomenal to see. And I, I, something that I, I don't know if this is the right way to sort of um depict it, but I think that has the IPL written all over it. You know, those guys that were all playing now all featured in the IPL um, yeah. in the past two years. And I suppose that just shows you that the IPL is just breeding talent in India. It's giving them a platform oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. show their talents. And, and, and you can see that coming through. I mean, just what, what an absolutely unbelievable test match. I think what it's doing is giving them experience in pressure situations, isn't it? But all yeah. the people that play, when you hear people come through over here, you play county cricket in front of three men and a dog. And then you go into a test arena where you've got constant media attention. You've got 25,000, 30,000 people stood around you all the time. And you've got the best players in the world. So, but then they get, they've got the best players in the world in front of 100,000 people. It's where they cut the teeth, isn't it? In, in yeah. professional cricket, which is, yeah. which is amazing. I think the um, interesting you mentioned there, Huge, about, you know, people who say test cricket's dead winding your neck in. Um, they finished India won, I think, with three overs left in the in the day's play. Exactly, yeah. The other, you know, we we have to mention England and Sri Lanka, also a brilliant Test match. England, you know, did their best to make it a lot closer than it should have been, in my view. But incredibly exciting going into that, you know, fifth day, only needing thirty six or whatever it was, but three down. You know, those of us who watch a lot of cricket and know a fair bit about cricket, we're going, hold on, if they get another couple early, we might be in a bit of trouble here. Um, yeah. And so it was incredibly exciting test cricket. Um, although, you know, one lasted five overs on the fifth morning and the other one went right to the end. Great advert it was a, this week for test cricket. Absolutely. Yeah. It was exciting enough for me to actually wake up at four in the morning to watch those five overs. Yeah. I wanted to see what was going to happen. And I suppose that just shows you that, you know, test cricket is definitely alive and well and kicking. And specifically... The fifth day, albeit yeah. you know, uh, eighty-five overs in in the Aussie and um, and Indian one, and five overs, so ninety overs in total. So there we go. No, I think it's it's great. It's great. Uh, congratulations to England. Congratulations to India. Um, you know, great results. Uh, I think you know England will take a uh, be very happy. You know, predominantly or historically slow starters on away tours. 
to be one nil up after one. Uh, I do think Sri Lanka almost kind of gave it to them in in the first innings. Yeah. But be interesting to see what happens come Friday when the second test starts. Um, but yeah, really, really exciting to watch some some Test cricket that's actually had a bit of bite to it. it and there was um, some one day cricket on. I don't know if you guys saw the one day game between the UAE and Ireland. Uh, I um, can see it. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. So so Mark didn't play in it, but um, no, I saw yeah. that. Yeah, I realized. Uh, yeah, that. yeah. Um, That's why I didn't watch yeah, it, obviously, because he, he... exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but yeah, it was it was a great game of cricket too. You know, I mean, looking at it, Ireland posted two two eight for six, and then you know got revenge on the UAE, bowling them out for one hundred and sixteen. So, you know, it's good to see the associate nations also alive and kicking well during this pandemic. And then tomorrow, which is Wednesday, I think we have the West Indies playing against Bangladesh. We do. That's the first uh, first game tomorrow, I believe. Absolutely. Um, just on the Ireland thing, uh, Simi Singh, their spinner, I think had five for seven at one point. Yeah, really? uh, in the, in, in the, yeah I mean, it, brilliant turnaround. Uh, great, great result for him personally. I, so. I actually did see that. He's the 21st person in, in one-day cricket to take a five for and score 50. Oh, did he get 50 as well, did he? You got a fifty-two. Yeah, I actually saw that stat. So yeah, that was yeah. an interesting. He got fifty-two, or he got a fifty-two. He actually got fifty-four. Just so right. you're aware of it. Well, so he got a fifty. Someone has put. Maybe someone should be fivering him. He's coming up with stats and all sorts tonight. Is Robbo? He must be. Uh, <laughs> right. Crick Info has a wonderful website. <laughs> so, 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 Becky's been putting spoonfuls of sugar in his coffee. I think. Uh, I've never known him like this. Um, never drank so much caramel syrup. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Right, okay. Uh, before we move on, uh, as I say, we, we're having to kind of scoot through the, the, the front end tonight a little bit uh, because it's quite you know, a brilliant interview with Floydy and then there's a few bits we want to cover off uh, after that. So um, we must thank our uh, partners. So obviously Woodstock Cricket, uh, Big Smoke Brewery, um, but you know, not most importantly, but most importantly, uh, everything that we do uh, with the golf day, with the cricket days that we're going to do, and obviously with this, uh, is our association with the Lord's Taverners. So, um, as always, I will read you the text number just in case you've forgotten it in the seven days. And you definitely can afford another £3 this week, all of you wonderful listeners. Uh, 70331, and you text TAVS11. That is for £3 donation. Um, please make sure you are 16 or over and have the bill pays permission uh, before doing so. Um, we very much look forward to uh, talking to you a little bit more later on. But uh, for now, uh, after a note from our good friends at the Lord's Taverners, uh, you will hear an amazing interview that we completed last night with Matt Floyd. Enjoy. The Lord's Taverners is the UK's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity. We break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, Something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people. And, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. 
Uh, so thank you very much uh, to our partners, Lord Saveners. And uh, on that bombshell, uh, we welcome this week's host, the broadcasting mammoth, cricketing legend, Oxford graduate, that is Matthew Floyd. How are you, Floydy? Great to have you with us, mate. That's the best intro I've ever received. It's <laughs> like an audio clip and stick it on my website or something. <laughs> Without fail, mammoth. yeah, absolutely. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm good, talk, thanks. Talk, I'm good, thanks. Good. When we talk about um, intros and websites, when you said about your website, then it only takes me back to Max Rushton when he was talking <laughs> about his website and all of the. Um, he just put loads of like really stupid merchandise on his website, none of which ever he ever had. And it's like Max Rushton balloons and like coffee cups and stuff like that. So uh, at least you actually have a properly functioning website, I'm sure. That is very Max Rushton. And I actually know him pretty well. Do you know why? Because I went to the same college as him. Oh, wow. All right. A bit random. Oh, small world, yeah. Yeah, small world. And then we both ended up working at Sky. At the yeah, yeah. Time. He was doing soccer AM and I was doing cricket AM at the same Brilliant. time. So we had, we had AMs covered. <laughs> yeah. Now, Max is a, a, a gent, uh, very kindly uh, helped us um, kind of cut our teeth in this didn't he fellas uh, yeah he did Toby was... doing the first couple of episodes with us so hopefully we're a, a bit more professional and a bit more prepared now but uh bbc <laughs> as uh, as mark, mark adair will um confirm yeah. um so obviously <laughs> matt thanks for coming on obviously it's a cricket and mental health podcast we've talked to you a little bit off air about what we want to cover off but um firstly i mean we spoke about this earlier on i'm going to go straight in at the deep end here so um born in london uh, Indian mother, English father. Um, cricket must have been a, a huge part of your childhood just just through that growing up straight away, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, ironically, actually, more through my dad than my mum. Uh, <laughs> she, she's probably the only Indian in London who doesn't like cricket. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, she, yeah, she came over here when she was 13 years old. Um, actually, her family were the first family to drive all the way from India to the UK. It was no a way. Wow. story in the Times in the 50s. Uh, wow. Obviously took them months. Uh, came over here, her parents basically left her here with foster parents uh, from a young age. Uh, and then she stayed and eventually, you know, married my dad. Um, so she's, you know, she's quite anglicised having been here for yeah, yeah. long. Um, and my dad uh, is originally from the West Country um, we then moved to, to London. Uh, he's the one who was the, the cricket nut. So he took me to my local club, Hampstead Cricket Club, which I've, I'm still a member of um, over 30 years later, um, playing the same league as Eugene. Uh, he plays for Twickenham. Uh, played against him actually this summer. I'm sure yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that game, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get? How did you uh, get? I might have got a few. I might have got a few, but my balance wasn't wasn't so <laughs> in that game for some reason. Slippery surface. At, 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 um, and yeah, my dad took me down to Hampstead when I was nine. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, never looked back since. Really, cricket's been my life, uh, you know, recreationally and then. I uh, went into obviously TV and, and working on cricket, which I, I didn't think I'd ever do, but it's pretty much been there since I was nine years old. It's been a big part of my life. Amazing. I mean, you, I, I mean, we that took me by surprise then when you said about your mum and your parents leaving her with a foster family. I mean, that that's uh, 
she, she, your mum will have had to grow up very, very quickly in that scenario. And, you know, I suppose she's passed a lot of those life lessons on to you from being a, a really young age as well, no doubt. Yeah, definitely. She, she's a really tough woman, you know, and um, I have a lot of respect for her. Um, you know, I've, both my parents have been great. I've, I've been very lucky, really. I've had, you know, great parents, great upbringing. Not, not everyone has that. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you do grow up if you're left in that environment. Um, you know, she had to deal with quite a lot of racism when she was at school. Uh, she went to Clapham Grammar School, I think it was. And I remember looking at this, um, this photo in, in, in the house when I was growing up and it was, it was incredible, really. It was just one of those, you know, long, thin school photos. Yeah, yeah. And it was just all these white faces and then this little brown dot on the end was the only non-white face. It was wow. my mum's, probably about, you know, 500 <clears throat> kids there. Yeah, yeah. There on the end. Um, but yeah, I think it did toughen her up, you know, getting away from it her parents. We, we, we spoke earlier this afternoon um, about, you know, we're, we're both mixed race um, and, you know, both grew up in the 80s. And I, I, I'm really interested. I, I know that you felt it's been a benefit when we talked earlier about, you know, we play cricket against a lot of Asian sides and we play cricket, with, you know, in and around white sides. And you feel like you've been able to kind of have a, almost a foot in both camps and see things from both different point of views. But before we go on to that slightly, like growing up in the 80s, did you feel like, um, through a lack of um, education, almost from some people, you you were ever targeted. I mean, you can say no. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it varied for different people. But do you think there was a lack of education around some people as to kind of mixed race marriages and what have you at that point in time? Do you know what? I, I didn't experience too much of that. I, I won't lie. I mean, I was I was quite lucky. Um, the environment that I grew up in, there wasn't a whole load of that really. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm also, I've got a very English name. I've got an Indian middle name <laughs> here, but yeah. Floyd's a very English name. Uh, I look, don't look necessarily like I'm, I'm half Indian. Yeah. Uh, and I'm culturally very English because I was born and brought up here. So, yeah. you know, I've always felt very English and, um, you know, playing cricket growing up and at school, I was always one of the, the lads you know I was all yeah, yeah. very much in with all the other English guys you know I, I was part of the crew but at the same time I had a bit of a foot in the other camp as well and I had a lot of Asian mates and playing cricket as well um you know what it's like Eugene you know you in the Middlesex League especially you get, you get a lot of Asian players every club has a lot of Asian players and a lot of white players yeah. and, and there is a bit of a divide you know mm. Some guys can bridge the gap, but there's a bit of a cultural divide um, and a bit of unconscious bias, I think, in there as well, which I've I've written about a little bit. I did a show, uh, The Sky, a couple of years ago, well, more than that, actually, two or three years ago, about unconscious bias in, in cricket and, and how it's uh, affected a lot of the numbers coming through. You know, we don't have many Asian players coming through to county level at the moment. It's about 4%, yeah. I think. And about 35% of club cricketers are Asian. And a lot of yeah, the yeah. Uh, players uh, are Asian as well. You know, you've got someone like Warwickshire, Yorkshire, loads of Asians uh, in their <clears throat> uh, 11s up to 17s, and then none of them really coming through to the professional ranks. Um, so I've never really experienced too much of it myself, but I have seen it, you know, and I've seen it mm. from the other side. You know, I've seen it from the, you know, the sort of privileged white side, as, as, as it were. 
Um, mm. you know, and, and I'm not talking necessarily just about races. I'm talking about, you know, unconscious bias and that still definitely exists in society. It's, it's pretty ripe. I couldn't agree more. Uh, to be honest, I, I, I think the um, unconscious bias is, is huge and still absolutely rife in society. I think you're right where there's a lot of predominantly Asian areas. So the Bradford League or, you know, Yorkshire, Birmingham, certainly London, there's, there's huge um, Asian populations. I think the um, something that's I'm really interested to see how it works is uh, Phil De Freitas is now in charge of London schools cricket and has got a real bit, you know, one of the top things on his list of priorities is really helping kind of, you know, BAME communities push into that system. So I, I think that one of the things he, he wants to do is talk about if you play for Surrey or Middlesex, you then cannot play for London schools. So that is then a breeding ground for those children to then push their way into first class cricket. Uh, which yeah. I think is an amazing initiative. And if he can make that stick, then fair play to him because that will make a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. I actually went through the London school system, actually, when I was oh, wow. okay. younger. I played a few games. In those days, you could play for the Middlesex and London schools as yeah. well. But you kind of... London schools was the this, this sort of pathway and then I ended up playing more for Middlesex. But I, I thought it was a great experience. You, you know, you got to go and play against uh, all these talented... Uh, young county sides and go and play a beautiful grounds and a lot of the, the, the kids there were not from privileged schools as well which which made a big difference you know you go and play for Middlesex Colts and it's a lot of private school kids um, not quite the same in London schools it was a lot more uh, meritocratic did we say I'm, I'm not sure two out of the three of us know what that even means <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either it just sounds really good yeah. it? it sounds incredible so, like Johnny said, we'll come on to your uh, adult cricket shortly. And you've already mentioned talking about going down to Hampstead, which I've lived in Hampstead, not in the nice yeah. part. That makes me, yeah, I, I played for the MCC Young Cricketers. Hang on, I'll just run <laughs> through this for a start. I played for the MCC Young Cricketers, and um, we lived in a hostel oh, in Hampstead. Hi, yes. Yeah, I know, Hi, Elm. It's a special place to live, but we'll have to leave that conversation <laughs> for off air. Um, and yeah, so we've spoken about we've spoken about Hampstead. Um, so, but what are your sort of main memories of of junior cricket? Sort of like you say, you've talked about London schools and going through the system. But what was it it like like going through that for you? Um, I used to love it. Those were really happy days for me. Um, it made me realise though that you can't do that without family support you know there's a lot of time and, and money spent and commitment spent by parents driving their kids around and and if you don't get that it's very hard to then progress through the ranks and, and carry on playing you know beyond your teenage years um because you need to have that foundation so i was lucky my dad was a cricket nut and he, he used to drive me around the country on saturday and sunday uh, and sometimes even midweek, you know, might take the odd day of school <laughs> and, and and play London schools or, or Middlesex under 13s or 15s or whoever. Um, and I, I think it was a great experience for me because I really bonded with my dad over those years. Um, felt a bit bad because my mum probably felt a bit left out in some ways because I spent so much time with my dad. But then I'd always make, you know, make that up with my mum when I was back home and try and spend more time with her. But it was... Um, 
I was lucky. My dad wasn't wasn't pushy. He wasn't desperate for me to be a professional player or, or anything. Um, he was very laid back. Still is very laid back. So he, he just wanted to take me around and watch me play, really. And he enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, and he never, you know, if I got a duck or something, he he never. <laughs> What are you doing? You know, why are you running down the track, third ball? He, he, was, he, he was very easygoing. Um, and then as I got older, I, you know, I started socialising more and, you know, drinking more. And he'd, he'd, he'd drive me down there when I was hungover and <laughs> stop and be sick out of the car or something like that. And then go, go down and not do very well and then he'd drive me back. Um, but, yeah, and I, I really enjoyed that time. But it was, it was a big time commitment. Mm. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's one of those. I think it's it's strange cricket growing up. Me and we and John had a chat about it the other day, obviously with uh, him knowing the uh, owner of Woodstock, and then um, like the sustainability of cricket is it's it's expensive. It is very expensive to sort of do and and to take part in and like I say miles, especially if you get to a rep situation where you're representing Middlesex or in my case not or whatever it's there's a lot of miles and a lot of time the parents have to put in absolutely and the equipment I mean no John what you were saying before on some bats retailing at 700 pounds or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it happens quite a lot now I mean there's bats uh, funnily enough the, the manufacturer who used to sell a bat for a thousand pound I had a look on their website a couple of days ago just to see if it was still on um and, it, and it's they don't advertise it or maybe you can just buy it but you have to go down there but I mean even well, 799 now yeah I mean the, the, <laughs> the, the, the bespoke bats are about 700 800 quid like and I just think like you who's know we pay that well people do I, I mean this is the thing you know there, there are we're we're the, the four of us as a collective are of an age where we could you know the top end bat used to you know at 260 quid be like oh my god that is like ridiculous money yeah and now you charge it. Pe- people, as a general rule, are charging at least double, if not towards triple that. And it, you know, it, it, I, I can't get my head around it. You know, I think it was it's one of those things. As cricket developed and got more interesting, so I can remember I was I was on the YCs at two thousand and five Ashes, and we used to coach in the indoor nets. And you'd see between the start of two thousand and five, the guys coming in, and everyone's got like a, their dad's cut iron bat whatever the kids that you coach and by the end of 2005 you've got kids walking in with top spec whatever branded bats mm. and i'm picking the thing up the training session and going this is better than my one and i <laughs> i'm sponsored yeah like, it's just the, just the amount of money these guys were paying for kit and training and everything it was astounding well the moral of the story is you, you need to know a cricket bat maker don't you so you can just get up oh. Hey. Hey. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And if anybody knows one, please let us know. <laughs> a good one. I'm looking for a good one. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, Floyd. You, you, you've been uh, you, you're on the uh, you're on the nice list, not the naughty list this year, mate. So don't you worry. Oh, yeah. He's going to get before. Uh... <laughs> yeah. exactly. I'll start saving now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, after you after school, you went to. I mean, look. I, I was looking at this earlier, and I knew most of it anyway, but in my mind, you completed Oxford, right? <laughs> so not only do you go to one of the two arguably most famous universities in the world to read classics and get a 2-1, but you get a blue, you play first-class cricket, and you get 128 now in the varsity match against Cambridge. I'm not uh, your extracurricular stuff. We'll we'll park there because I know Sarah's not too far away. But I reckon 
I think you, you've completed I was where you're going there. When, when you said I completed Oxford, <laughs> I, I was a bit concerned where you're going there. I said, yes. Has he been speaking to my old roommate? <laughs> <laughs> but from a sports and, and kind of uh, educational perspective, you've nailed it, right? Uh, yeah, listen, I had a great time there. I, I really did. Um, you know, people have different experiences at Oxford. Um, when I got there, I didn't know what to expect. And I, and I kind of found that I was maybe sort of in the middle, really. Um, and, you know, there were some of the people I've ever met in my life from from some of the, you know, poshest boarding schools around Eton and, and other places. And I found that I was, a you know, I, I went to a, a private day school in, in, in London. Um, so, you know, we were... Well, we I had a, actually had a, a scholarship ticket to, to go to, to my school. And, you know, we was a mixture of, of people there, really. Um, but we, we were a bit worldly because we were from from the city. And then, you know, you, so you, you go to university and you met all these boarding school people from from the country. And they were incredibly intellectual, incredibly posh and, you know, not very worldly because they, they you know, they yeah, yeah. around with girls and that sort of thing. So, and, you know, we didn't really fit in with them. And then, you know, a lot of the state school kids um, at Oxford, you know, had a bit of a chip on their shoulder because they were, you know, there weren't enough of them really. They were a bit in the minority. Mm. And, and, you know, they, there was a real sort of culture clash between them and the, the exceptionally posh aristocrats from, um, you know, Sherbourne or Wellington or wherever. So, you know, I felt a bit like in the middle of that really. I, I, I was a bit of both. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, but we, you know, we were definitely guys from my type of school. Were, uh, we sort of hung out together, and we, we were in the middle. Um, but I had, I loved that because I, I then came out of Oxford with totally different group of friends. You know, mm. that I would never have met in my school days or or in London. Um, and uh, and then, as you said, I, I, I concentrated on extracurricular stuff while I was there. I wanted <laughs> You know, playing cricket was a big part of me going there. I, I won't lie, I applied to a college that uh, I'd heard um, they wouldn't hold it against you if you were decent at sport. Okay, yeah. So I got some good advice from my tutor um, and uh, managed to sneak in through the back door. And then luckily I did a course where I had a, a lot of free time in my summers. My exams were not in my summers, so I was able to play cricket. Um Got the blue in my second year, I think. Wow. Pants off everyone. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was a hundred, but it was very, very slow. In fact, Bridge, some of the Cambridge players were calling me a corpse with pads. <laughs> Brilliant. At the end of the innings. It's a new sledge. But you know, hey, we went on and won the game with a couple of overs to spare on day four. So I'm not complaining. And do you know what? How many people can say they've got an Oxford Blue and scored 128 not out in a varsity match? I mean, you 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 will have faced far better chirps than that. You'll have faced far worse chirps than that. But I'll tell you what, mate, you'll take that to your grave and it'll make you proud every day that you do. So, uh, uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it. But trust me, when I was in the Sky commentary box, you know, first class 100 against Cambridge University doesn't go down that way. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't something that I was bragging about, you know, I mean... Sir Ian Botham was having none of it. He was like, <laughs> he kept on saying it was for Cambridge just because he, he thought he was annoying me. Right. And, uh, I think once they pulled up my first class stats, which is terrible, by the way, they got Benedict, the stats man, to, 
to pull him up. And it had a list of all the guys who got me out. I only had about yeah. eight innings or something. Um, but 100 against Cambridge. And then I don't think I scored higher than 28 or something against the, the county sides. It was pretty awful. And uh, there was a list of players who got me out. And, and it was all guys you hadn't heard of. <laughs> it was reading out this list to everyone else and taking them on. And there's not much I could say, really. You know, you've got a, an England captain there taking you to crap. I mean, you know. He's right. Yes, yes I am compared here. to Absolutely. you, yes. <laughs> you, you, the, the three, you're talking to three lads who are three of the biggest badges you'll ever meet and none of us have any been anywhere near to a first-class 100. So, I mean, it's something that we, we view with absolute... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I think you're a god. Astonishment, that's, that's yeah. That's the first thing that's coming to mind. Yeah, admiration. You've got a first-class 100. Yeah, absolute admiration. I just think, you know, it, it's incredible. Um, I really like how... Just get a game against Cambridge. They're on <laughs> <laughs> the flat one first in the, the first-class 100 in the book. <laughs> I, really, I really like the fact that the sledges that Cambridge could come out with in the Oxford v Cambridge Varsity game, but everyone that went to a normal school is standing there going, yes, someone getting called a corpse with pads is exactly <laughs> what I thought it would be. <laughs> I, can, I can remember we played against Oxford, UCCE as it was, uh, a few yeah. years ago. Uh, 2004. That? Year? 2004. So that was just after I left. Yeah. Like a year before, I, I might have played in that game. So you'd have been on with Paul McMahon. Yeah, I played. Yeah, I played uh, my all my junior cricket with Paul. Absolute legend of a guy. I did about four degrees and then finally found a job at thirty-one, working for the ICC. Yeah, he's a lot of the ICC. Now. Yeah, yeah he's a right. very very clever lad. But um, we were we were doing our warm ups on north hand side, as you can imagine, the north hand side, slightly overweight. Not necessarily the most intelligent group of lads. Um, and we're doing the stretches in the circle, <laughs> talking about the things that fat, slightly overweight average cricketers talk about in the stretches in the circle. And these two lads from uh, Oxford UCCE, clearly Oxford Brooks lads, came walking out of the dressing room shaking their head. And I'm like, what's up? What, what's up with you two? He says, what are you lads talking about? And he says, well, he's talking about his sister and he's talking about whatever else and like the things I was like what are they talking about in there and these two lads went they're talking about how the different Oakley lenses change the refraction of light that affects depth perception and how that's <laughs> going to affect high catches we just talked to him and went do you want to come and warm up with us <laughs> but yeah different, different level of uh, intelligence to uh, compared to what yeah. we were playing good cricket well, I tell you what, it was interesting because I was there when um they basically turned it into the academy, the UCCE, which meant that no longer would the first class games be just Oxford University. It would be Oxford University and the old Polytechnic, which was Oxford Brooks uh, team amalgamation together, uh, which they did to enhance the standard, but also to give opportunities to people who weren't privileged enough to go to Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah. And uh, I was there for the, the first year of that, actually. And it, it was quite interesting because it was a big change. And, you know, you've got two different cultures, again, sort of coming together. And uh, I think initially some of the Brooks guys felt a little bit, um, I don't know, in, in, intimidated or out of place, something like that. But it didn't take long, really, for everyone to mm. come together. And it actually kind of added a lot to the change room because you had people from a different background, different kind of uh, humour, different kind of way of doing things. And they made us better as well. So without them, we'd have been 
even more streetwise. Well, we got hammered every game anyway, but uh, yeah, it's almost, it, it's weird. It's almost back to the old school kind of gentlemen and players style yeah. theory, isn't it? You know, where pro you're pro. Um, I, I remember I, I played for the Nomads, this wandering team from London. Their chairman and president is an old fellow called Michael Blumberg, and he's a wonderful, wonderful man. He's about 370 years old and still rocks out and plays cricket. And that's one of the most beautiful things about cricket, I think, is that it's ageless and timeless. But there was a Charlie Lamb, I think his name was. He was the first ever pro at Durham, um, first person to be paid, but he wasn't allowed to sit in the same dressing room as people who had been, you know, of a, of a more privileged background. And I just think, you know, you're a miles better cricketer. But at that time, you know, the, the dumb thing was that despite being, you know, the, the professional, you weren't allowed to sit with people who were deemed to be from a higher yeah. um, social economic than you. But anyway, I digress. Crazy. Um, talking of higher social uh, dynamics and economics, um, the chairman of your club that you so love is Jim Carter. And he is the uh, butler at Highclere Castle, is he not? He is, yeah. That's generally <laughs> how he is known. You know, no one knows him as Jim Carter. He's Carson the butler. He is. He is. I mean, what a wonderful man. I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him very, very briefly, uh, the ones. But, I mean, you go in within 50 yards of him and you hear his voice and it's just instantly that kind of deep, um, you know, baritone voice but what a lovely man and he married to Imelda Staunton obviously he's a very very famous actress but he just loves his cricket doesn't he and loves the club yeah so the, the story is is that he lives in a house with, uh, whose garden backs on to Hampstead Cricket Club and he just got tired of balls getting hit into his back garden because <laughs> uh, it happens on a, a regular basis it's the small side of the boundary straight. It's very easy to get it in there. And one day he just got sick of it and said, well, I'm going to get involved really. And he jumped over his fence and got to know everyone. And then within a few years, he was the chairman. Brilliant. Which was incredible. And actually he really transformed the social life at the club. The club's always had a good social life, but he, he brought in all these famous actors and actresses. He used to have a, an annual, this sounds really wanky, but we had an annual celebrity match and he'd bring down Daniel Radcliffe and Tom Felton and all these people from Downton Abbey, um, who I didn't really know at the time. I'm not really a Downton Abbey fan, but I'm <laughs> quite well known. Yeah. Um, and Emma Thompson would come and bowl the first ball of the game because she lives next door to him. Um, so we became a bit of a club of loveys, really. I'm, I'm not painting a great... Picture here, we sound like a bunch of jazzers. We're not, <laughs> not that jazzy. <laughs> but I mean, you've also got some amazing, you know, some phenomenal cricketers. Um, you know, Steve Finn opened the bowling for you in 2020. Uh, that's obviously his club now. Um, I played against him years ago when he was a young, young team. Must have been 17 or 18, and he just beat me up. And I, to the point where I just said. You just bowl a full and straight one. I'll leave it. I've had enough. <laughs> Seriously, you know, I don't want any more of this. And Richard Bannum, who I used to play with at Wimbledon, who can only be described as the angriest man. He's the nicest bloke in the world. You put a cricket ball in his hand, whether it's nets, indoors or outdoor, he, he turns into an absolute monster. Um, but what a lovely lad. And he, he still bowls rockets, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's our, he's our opening bowler uh, who opens with Finney when Finney plays for us. Actually, the, um, 
the first game that Steve Finn played for us this year, uh, I think one of them was against Twickenham, actually. Eugene, yep. you probably remember. But um, the first game he played for us was against Bronsbury, who are our local rivals who just come back up um, uh, this year to the Premier League. And I just got back in the first team. I haven't played them first team for a couple of years. But uh, it was my first game back and Finn was playing open the bowling. I think we got bowled out for 120 or something. So we had to bowl them out cheaply. And uh, Steve didn't actually bowl very well. He only got one wicket. But all the other bowlers were charging in with their chests puffed out just because Steve Finn was playing. So the other opening bowler, Rich Bannam, you mentioned, I've never seen him bowl so fast. He, he was oh. coming down the hill. Steve Finn was going up the hill for some reason. <laughs> he got a four or five, and we ended up holding him out for 80. I remember Banners was... Uh, 2010, I played with him at Wimbledon, and he was absolutely rapid. He'd just been released by Hampshire. I had a, I had a pop at him in the indoor nets um, just as I joined the club, which turned out not to be the wisest idea. Um, I said, oh, anybody's quick off 18 yards, mate. Thinking I'd, he'd forget, but by the following week, he, he bowled five balls at me, hit me four times, and I walked out crying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a man in his late 20s, which taught me a very valuable lesson, uh, is that someone who can bowl that quickly will always win, especially on a sprung <laughs> tennis court floor. Um, I'm surprised yeah, you don't relate to him, John, because you're, you're a bit of an angry fast bowler, aren't you? I mean, the one game <laughs> yeah, I yeah. played with you for the Lord's Taverners, you know, a very gentle, friendly match. And I don't think you took too kindly to a couple of um, younger teenagers, should we say, taking <laughs> you for a couple of fours back with yeah. a square. I mean, I mean, it's hard I'm to hit me back with a square, the pace I bowl. People normally lump me back over my head, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, well, talking of the Lord's Taverners, um, I mean, you, you're obviously so, you know... Um, you're great with your time for them. Um, that's how we originally got to know each other. And obviously the podcast is a big supporter of theirs. Um, what is it about the charity that originally got you involved? Uh, what is it about the work that they do that you find so beneficial? And talk us through, um, I, I've refrained from telling this story so far, but we shared a, a moment with one of our, uh, two of our um, colleagues that day that I just think is one of the best stories ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh one of the most bizarre wickets you will ever, <laughs> ever see in your life. Um, but yeah, the Lord's Taverners, um, just a, a, a great charity, really. I, I don't know how I first got involved. I think it was probably through Sky, actually, because we've done a few features on them over the years. And when I started reporting before I went into presenting, that's the kind of thing that I would have been sent to do. Um, okay. Go and make a five-minute feature on the, the Lord's Taverners on a particular event, and then we'd run it during the test match. Um, so I think that's how I first got involved. And then uh, I realised they had a team. So I was like, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. I'd love to play the odd game. And they play in some very nice places. And then after I played a couple of games, I then got involved a bit more on the actual charity side. Excuse me. Um, I went and visited a couple of schools uh, in Hertfordshire, actually, which were speciality disability schools. Yeah, uh, to see what the Lord's Taverners had done for them and to open a couple of sensory rooms and okay. sort of playgrounds for them. And it was really eye-opening, actually, to see exactly what the Tavs provide. It's incredible, really. I mean, they provide a lot of transport, these 
minibuses that uh, schools use, but they also provide a lot of equipment. These sensory rooms are amazing uh, for kids with disabilities to use, um, really are, and, and outdoor facilities as well. So when I went and saw a couple of these schools and helped the Travs launch these facilities, that's when I kind of saw the full value of what they do. Um, and I try and go occasionally when I can, but obviously now with lockdown, there's none of that going on, unfortunately. So hopefully yeah, yeah. We'll get back to some of that this year. And the uh, and and talk us through the Johnny Irwin story. Right. So Johnny Irwin, <laughs> who is a presenter of um, a place in the sun, in the sun, yeah. whatever else. Yeah, he's got a plum job, really, hasn't he? He's, <laughs> yeah. he's one of these TV presenters who other presenters look at and think, God, I would absolutely love his job. <laughs> travel around Europe. He's in Mallorca one week, he's in Greece the other week trying to sell property. He's done about a million series, I think, of a place that's been going on for 40 years or something. Um, anyway, presenting is uh, he's pretty good at it. It's his strong point. Bowling, not so much. Yeah, not so much. Uh, in fact, it, we played this game, uh, didn't we, Jono? Where was it? At Tring. Tring, Tring Park, yeah. Cricket Club, Tring yeah. Park. Very nice place, actually. And uh, Johnny Irwin plays a lot of games for the Tavs. He lives lives for playing for the Tavs. Um, but he's a bowler. Well, was, oh, steady. Well, yeah, he is a bowler. <laughs> he, he never, he never <laughs> bats. I've never seen him bat, so his batting must be horrendous. <laughs> but there were times when I thought, honestly, lads, I didn't think the ball was going to get to the wicketkeeper. It was that slow. He was chucking hand grenades and, and they weren't bouncing and, and they were, half of them were down leg side and it was pretty painful to watch. Uh, Tring Park had uh, probably, was he one of their pros? I think he was yeah, a it, it was, guy with... He was an Adonis, this bloke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like Jono, but, but good-looking, <laughs> yeah. muscly and full yeah. of tattoos. So nothing like Jono. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Similar height, a bit taller. Um, <laughs> and he was obviously a very good player, and uh, he had a bit of a strut on him as well. And he probably felt a bit aggrieved that, that Johnny Irvin was bowling to him because, you know... It's Who wouldn't? lose situation, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And as it proved to be. So I think he probably whacked four fours and five deliveries or something like that. And then the final ball of the over, one of these hand grenades, about two yards down leg side. <laughs> yeah. He has to run towards the leg side just to get to oh, the ball. Oh, no. Hits it. There's one man on the leg side boundary who happens Wallops to be it. the tallest man on our team, Toby Tarrant, who you know very well. <laughs> he was on your first show, Son of Chris. Who is actually a decent bowler, Toby Tarrant. And he's clearly a good fielder as well, because he's on the boundary. This guy whacks it, going for six, right on the boundary edge, jumps up, grabs it with two hands, boundary catch, and he's out. I mean, it is one of the most ridiculous dismissals I've ever seen in my life. And this guy, he walked off so slowly, he was yeah. so <laughs> ashamed. <laughs> But you've Living never seen a reaction like Johnny Irwin's reaction. He started screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, just started screaming. Like it was like a roar. It was weird. Like uh, it was. It was so funny. There's photos of it online. Like it's just. I mean, probably it may well be his first and only ever wicket in cricket. 
I mean, the, the greatest thing about Johnny is he presents all these like fake off spinners, and then occasionally he throws in a leg spinner. Nothing, <laughs> none of them turn. He just changes his wrist. Uh, I, I but, don't yeah. know what he's doing. He's almost sort of trying to do off spin and leg spin at the same time. Dark <laughs> grip, hasn't he? Where he sort of holds yeah. the ball like, like this as it comes in. Um, very, very odd. We'll have to get we'll have to get hey, him on to defend. He's himself. a wicket taker. Yeah, <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, one first class hundred for Floydy, one wicket for Johnny Irwin. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, talking about funny moments, I believe there's some film footage somewhere of uh, you playing against one of our co-hosts this year, Mr. <laughs> Eugene Berger, and you giving a very fine impression of Bambi on Ice. I've not seen this yet, but apparently it's uh, mildly amusing. What what happened there? Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, um, for some reason, I don't know why, but that particular day, I just couldn't stand up. Something to do with the night before, maybe? No, it wasn't at all. It, it, it was the, the pitch. It was the slippery pitch. Yeah. It, was, it, it must have been a, a couple of crisp packets just blew across <laughs> onto the pitch that I was playing. But yeah, I kept setting off for, for singles and slipping over. Or I, I think this particular video that, that Eugene has... has Stuck up on Twitter. Thanks very much for that, mate. Um, it's, uh, it's me. Yeah, the ball hits me on the pad, and I, and I set off for a single, get sent back, and I obviously try and put the brakes on um, with heels, and I just legs go from underneath me, and it's like a comedy, you know, land flat on your back, and then the mid wicket's coming in to run me out, so I've then got to swim back, <laughs> to get into the crease before I get run out. I mean, it's one of the most undignified <laughs> you'll ever see in your life but then I did go on and get about 80 didn't I use you did correct yeah yeah thanks yeah. for pointing that out that may come up in your questions later on yeah I was going to say uh, there might be a yeah, question about that game later on <laughs> um, questions what questions oh, that's where you have to oh. give the Lord's Tavern as a tenor <laughs> unless you get something right but you know <laughs> and, what, and one of us has to match it but I presume that'll be Eugene tonight yeah um so obviously we know you play. You take your plan on playing cricket again next year. What do you think cricket will look like in twenty twenty one? I know there's some people talking about abandoning tees in certain leagues and whether it will be short formats like some some leagues played this year. What what, what do you think it will it'll be? If you'd asked me this a month ago, I would have been very confident that we're going to have a full season. But I think with this current wave. There's a big cloud over that now, isn't there? Mm. Um, I, I, I'm still confident. I think things are going to improve because if you look at last year, remember how we felt in April. We couldn't really see a cricket season happening then, could we? And things change. Things improve. Um, the numbers are going to go down. We've got a vaccine, which we didn't have in April. So I'm sure things are going to improve. And then as soon as they do people have got to get back to normal life. And part of normal life mm. for us is being able to play amateur cricket, being able to play professional cricket and watch professional cricket. Um, and in an ideal world, get back to, to normality, being able to eat teas together, being able to be in the chat mm. together. I think as soon as they can have all those things, they'll have them. Listen, I would take a situation like last season, which I didn't mind that much, 
to be honest with you. We, we played a half a season in the Middlesex League. Um, we couldn't use the changing room apart from three at a time, I think it was. Couldn't use the showers. Had to eat outside on the, the grass, uh, bring in a packed lunch. So no, no teas or lunches provided. But it was still cricket. Mm, yeah. The game as much as I would normally. And actually, in a way, in those days, the bars and, and restaurants were all open. So we could all go to our local bar after the game. We weren't allowed to have a drink in the clubhouse, but we had a couple on the grass and then went to a, to a bar around the corner and booked it out and everyone was up for it. So it was a slightly weird environment, but I still enjoyed it. And I would take that again mm. if it was offered right now, to be honest with you, because the alternative is to to have something a bit worse. Yeah, exactly. I think the, um, what, what, one of the things that I think everybody who plays amateur cricket and everybody who listens to, to this who, who plays amateur cricket has got to concede that we, we have spent years and years and years telling league administrators, we don't like this, we don't like that, we want to change, we want to go to one-day cricket, we want to do this, we want to do that, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. What they did last year was incredible because they mobilised themselves so quickly. Every league in the country to a T, pretty much. I think there were a couple of exceptions. Uh, although I think the Southern League can cricket very early, but they may they may have ended up playing some some games later on anyway. But you know, credit where it's due. You know, all these all these guys who we say, oh, you know, you start a touch with what the modern cricketer wants and this that, and other. Without these guys who were willing to put that time and effort in, we wouldn't. The, the four of us wouldn't have had any form of a cricket season last year and my God would have missed it, you know. So I think that all league administrators, I mean, Simon's mum is, is uh, I think, the treasurer at our place, uh, my new club, and she does, you know, scores for the first team and she's on the, the committee of the, the not uh, League and what have you. Um, and I think that, you know, it's... Um, it, it, we need to recognise them in this, you know, for actually having done such a good job because without them last year, we wouldn't have played any cricket whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> sorry, that's my uh, little, you know, nice piece about people done for the night um, or for the month. Um, <laughs> um, so most people obviously will recognise you as a broadcaster, Floydy. Um, initially, obviously, Cricket AM. I was so excited. You know, because obviously Max was doing and Tim Lovejoy before him had done, um, you know, Soccer AM or whatever. And I was like, we need some of this for cricket, 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 cricket. I've always been a cricket fan, played a bit of football, but cricket's always been my sport. And then when that got launched, I know obviously you were the second incumbent uh, uh, from the, the male perspective and Sarah Jane, uh, you had a great relationship with. Um, what a cool programme to work on, I imagine, until I beat the cricket club turned up. And that that day, that day must have been carnage. With Shaggy and Cocktail and the lads on on scene, that must have been awful. No, they were great actually. Yeah. So we, <laughs> um, if anyone hasn't watched the the show, uh, just to sort of uh, explain what the format was, it was similar to Soccer AM, and we would get a team of the week that would come in every week, um, yeah, cricket club, and try and find clubs with interesting stories and obviously once you've done dozens of these shows it becomes harder and harder to find clubs with a, a unique story and then Ibiza Cricket Club suddenly message us and they're like wow this is a unique story you know it's <laughs> fantastic so we uh we got them in we flew them over from Ibiza and they were our team of the week for that week a couple of them had probably been up all night um 
The chairman's a bloke called Shaggy, who we play. <laughs> well, he's a sort of man about town in Ibiza. He can fix you up with boats and with villas and everything <laughs> yeah. in Ibiza. So anyone go there, just just contact me or Jono, and we'll, we'll sort you out with Shaggy. Um, but they were great. They, they, you know, they bought into the whole thing. We played all this, you know, techno music when they came on and stuff like that. They, they, they Lumin- luminous sweatbands and, and all that. And yeah, all that. they yeah. dressed up for us. It, it was really good fun. And actually, like I, you know, Shaggy's. Quite a good mate now, you know. Whenever I go to a beefer, I might get to fix something for me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're well. a brilliant bunch. They're a brilliant bunch. In fairness, I, I I've loved going over there the last seven or eight years or whatever. Uh, the wife and I ended up getting married and and uh, out in our beefer. And Shaggy's obviously become oh. a very good friend. Shaggy Anybody, conducted uh, the ceremony. <laughs> say again. Shaggy he didn't conduct the ceremony. ceremony. He, actually, he actually asked whether he could conduct he can the do ceremony. Many things, but he, he can't do that. <laughs> No, he's now he's now a registered celebrant. He, he? he asked if he could do it. Oh, and he's like, not. You just come and enjoy. Just come and enjoy the day. Um, but um, yeah, if anybody, any clubs are interested in touring Ibiza, it's one of the best places in the world. Uh, Floydie and I will attest to that. And you can go and play cricket out there. It's played on a four G cricket pitch. It's uh, it, but you're not there for the cricket. You're there for the experience and to play cricket in Ibiza for a couple of days. But it, it is brilliant. Um, so yeah, info at solomonit.co.uk if you want to find out a little bit more about that. Simon? Yeah. Um, so you're now a freelance broadcaster. I, I, it's always confused me when people move between all the types of things, but I'll take it that means you work for yourself now. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, how has COVID impacted, obviously last, this last 12 months has been carnage when it comes to cricket. I know you were supposed to be involved in the IPL and doing stuff like that, but that obviously got cut short um so how has how has it sort of been dealing with that and and no stop things well it's been very difficult to be honest uh, i mean i'm not the only person who's suffered uh, you know on the work front i guess because of the lockdowns and because of covid um particularly i think a lot of freelancers have so i'd probably been freelance for about a year uh, when covid hit the first time and was just starting to build up a bit of momentum uh, post Sky. So, I, you know, I was doing a bit of work in India, a bit of, bit of cricket in India, did the 2019 World Cup out there and uh, a few other series. Uh, and was doing a bit of football uh, over here for the Premier League and various other things, sort of trying to get my foot in some, some new doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, unfortunately, you know, once the... The virus hit uh, in March. A lot of places stopped using freelancers. So I know a lot of people in the industry, not just presenters, but you know all sorts of people: camera operators, EVS operators, uh, sound people, all sorts of technical people. Uh, just lost a whole load of work overnight. Really, um, it's picked up again now, but there was definitely a, a period when obviously there's no sport going on so yeah people they depend on live sports so there's no live sport being played that's their income is completely gone their sole source yeah. of income um it's not so bad for someone like me i i can survive a, a little bit more um but uh you know i haven't worked really very much since march um i've done a few bits and bobs here and there but the one thing that you realize is that you really miss the cut and thrust of live broadcast. Mm. Used to having it fairly regularly, suddenly it's pretty irregular 
and you find you, there's a big gaping hole in your life, which you've yeah. got to fill. Mm. I think it's probably quite similar with professional sportsmen. You know, they one minute they're playing the whole time, the next minute they're not. And, and mm. how do I fill that void? So I've really missed the work and, and the buzz of live television. And I, I found that, I, you know, there's nothing really that I can fill that void with, particularly now when you're locked in at home and you can't really do much. Um, so I found that quite tough to deal with. You know, I, I think everyone's had mental health challenges over the yeah. last few months. Um, and the brain is a very powerful organ. And you <laughs> think about the negative things more than the positive things, and you turn them into a much bigger thing in your mind than they actually are. Um, so, yeah, I, I've definitely had my challenges. One thing I will recommend, by the way, to anyone is to, to do a bit of therapy because I never used to do therapy until uh, last year. And uh, I used to always scoff at it a little bit and think, well, you know, what's the point? What's it going to do for me? Is it a sign of weakness? Whereas the reality is it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of real strength to admit that you've got a slight issue. You know, I mean, I don't have a a big problem, but I think I needed to talk to someone about mm. about my situation and my worries about about work and about life and just having someone there on the other end of the line, someone who you, you trust and, and who you think can you'll get a benefit from just talking to makes a, a world of difference. Did you? Um, I mean, the, the, the mental health thing, as you know, is a, is a massive thing that we look to concentrate on and, and obviously we're going to partner with the Samaritans this year um, to, to kind of try and guide people and you know make them understand that no matter how bad things seem that there is always that way out I mean did you from your experience Matt did you go about that through talking to a professional or did you talk to friends or if you whichever one of those you did would you ever consider doing it the other way around for example so if you went to a professional would you would, is it something you'd feel comfortable talking to friends about or would you prefer to go the other way? I think you can do both. I think the, the more people you talk to, the better, probably. Mm. The thing you possibly won't get from your friends is a sort of objective, cold analysis of, of you know, why you're feeling a certain way or um, why you, you, you're, you're thinking about, about a certain subject more than you should be. Um, of course, you should speak to your friends. I totally agree with that. Some friends are, are better to talk to than others. But it, I think it's quite nice sometimes to get a professional view. Now, that's not for everyone. Mm. You've also got to find a therapist that works for you because I, I know other people who've tried lots of different therapists and never quite found someone who clicked. I was very lucky. I just The first person that I tried was someone that I really bonded with and connected with and, and he can get his point across I think very effectively to me mm. even when I don't feel like I need to talk to him I talked to him the other day uh, just because I have a once every two weeks situation with him I've got to sort of book in a, a slot and I didn't feel like talking to him I was like well I, I, I feel absolutely fine at the moment I don't, I don't feel like there's anything I need to get off my chest. But then once you start talking to him, you realise that actually it's very helpful. Yeah. There's lots of stuff that you can talk to him about. It doesn't have to be one particular thing. You can just chat about life. 
And I, yeah, I, every time I come out of them, those conversations, I feel like they've been worthwhile, to be honest. And I suppose that having done this for so long, these people are, as you say, are, are professionals and, and kind of know how to kind of change your mindset or maybe drag that little bit of information out of you that is the thing that needs talking about. Um, I always say, you know, the thing that always really, I used to love watching Suits and Lewis is a character I used to love. And, it, and you know, he's this real strong, brash character, but then he had his um, German, um, the German fellow he used to go and see, who used to talk to him in such a calm manner. And he always used to get, you know, and, and, and the thing that Lewis always got out of it, he was like, oh, I feel better off the back of that because sometimes he'd storm out, but then he'd realise later or sometimes during that session, he'd realised that that had been really good for him. So, um, look, it's, a, it's, it's amazing and, you know, it, it's great that people are beginning to talk about mental health more and, you know, the guests that we've had have all been, you know, open about certain situations that um, you and others have been through. The, the thing that you said about live TV really interests me. I just want to ask you something on that. When you, obviously, you'll have recorded, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pre-recorded videotapes or VTs as you refer to them. But um, what's the, what's Not the, the same? What, what I was going to say, what is the, what is that key difference? And is it a buzz? Is it a, like, is it an adrenaline rush? What is it that makes the live TV such an amazing experience? Yeah, totally. You hit the nail on the head. It's an adrenaline rush. And I always found that whenever I was doing the pre-recorded links for a show, for example, you, you do India-Australia test match or something, and you do pre-recorded links for lunch tea and close of play um, in the breaks. And I always found that I stuffed them up because they, you know, they, they weren't live. I didn't get myself up. Yeah. I mean, I was just sort of reading a little script that I'd written for myself. And I found I made more mistakes reading that sort of a, a pre-prepared script than I would do if it was live. And also, when you're doing a live broadcast, always every presenter will tell you in the rehearsal you mess it up. And then uh, it comes round to the actual event and uh, you nail it because you've just got that added pressure. You know that you can't make a mistake. So yeah. you just do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I really do miss it. I, I, it's one of the things I was talking to my therapist about last year. It, it's one thing that it's like a drug. Once you, you have it, you just want to have more and more and more. And you almost find it hard to, to, to get up for something that's not quite what you want specifically. Um, I used to be scared of it, to be honest with you. When I started, uh, I used to dread the countdown 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Director in your ear. Yeah. In your ear. Yeah. And I'd be really nervous and you kind of almost, you tense up a bit. And you can see that when you start presenting. I mean, if you, you know, if I looked at a, a tape of me presenting my first year doing it and then in my 12th year of doing it or whatever, um, there'd be a huge difference. And I'd cringe because I visibly look scared. And I think it takes two or three years to, to really find your feet doing live TV, in my opinion. I presume it takes making some mistakes as well, though, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I think, Sarah, was Sarah more experienced than you when you went on to do it? I know that when Max yeah. uh, went on to do Soccer AM with Helen, he was like, Helen basically looked at him and just went, get the fuck on with it, mate. There, there's no there's, <laughs> yeah. there, there's no easy way out. You're here to do a job, and, and, and you just have to like man up and get on with it. Did you, yeah. did you have a similar thing? or? Yeah, Sarah Jane, me, was way more experienced than I was. 
similar kind of dynamic. Um, she maybe wasn't as harsh as, as <laughs> yeah. I've gone with it, but she, she actually helped me quite a lot because I ended up presenting uh, Cricket AM, I think it was 2010 or 2009, and I'd only just been presenting for a few months. So it's quite tough to go from just starting presenting to then go into a show like that. Um, it was a bit of a steep learning curve, but because I had an experienced presenter alongside me, she, she got me through it. And the way that I kind of got a lot of my mistakes out of the way was I was doing a lot of overnight cricket. So the first right. time I, I did a live presenting broadcast for Sky uh, was because Nick Knight was ill. Okay. It was a West Indies Australia ODI, I think 2009. Uh, so it would have started at about three in the morning on the uh, So not many people watching it. And that's one of the good things about Sky is that they do give people opportunities. Yeah. I've been a reporter. I've done a few things, but I've never, ever presented anything live. So you've got to do your, your first show at some point, I guess. And this was the chance. Nick Knight was ill. So I got a call about, I don't know, seven or eight hours before on air saying, you're in. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a few hours to kind of look at my stats and prepare. I obviously did sleep because I was so nervous and... I wanted to make sure I was ready, but that's how it works in TV. You know, someone's not around or can't make it into work for whatever reason, and you've got to take your opportunity. And it's at three in the morning, so they say to you, "Look, if you make a mistake, don't worry. Only three men and a dog are watching it." <laughs> um, Sounds like Toby Terran's been morning show, that. <laughs> Sorry, He's Toby. Got five I don't mean dog, Toby. Yes. <laughs> um, um, be, before we finish, before we go into the questions uh, for the for the towers. Something I know you're passionate about club cricket and amateur cricket, um, and I, I Sky obviously used to cover the national T20 finals day, and the last time they did that was at the Washdale <coughs> finals day at the Oval in 2013 when it rained all day, and now they have I don't know a 20 minute thing of two semi finals and a final that you know it still gets played and there's obviously still quite a nice prize. I, I think that's a real shame. Now, it's not necessarily Sky's fault, but I, I just wonder what your opinion would be on what you think the the general public thinks about amateur cricket. Because most people are amateurs who play the game and not professionals. And then surely there must be a, a desire, or, or that would be seen to be aspirational for the normal club cricketer to see the top performing amateurs from England performing on that stage. What do you, do you do? You think that it's something that Sky will ever pick up again? Do you think they should? I mean, do you, I, 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 I would love to see it back on the screens. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you totally. Um, you know, Sky did make a very big commitment to cricket uh, all those years ago. And part of that was they're going to broadcast a lot of women's games, a lot of under-19s games do the Club 2020 Challenge, provide some extra programming like Cricket AM and, and other things and lots of different features and shows that, that <clears throat> watch some of them now on the Sky Sports Cricket channel. Um, so they did invest a, a lot into cricket in this country. That was at the, the peak, I would say, when they were doing mm. Club T20 Challenge. I presented it a few times, actually. It was one of the things that I cut my teeth on 
I think that's the first time Life we ever met was at the Oval that day. That's right, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a bowl out, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. It was rained off bowl I watched, out. I watched Bob, Wimbledon won Bob, it. Bob Willis, bless his soul. We were sat in the commentary box with him and he, we watched him eat his first ever Nando's. Bob Willis and Charles Colville eating macho peas without cutlery. Jesus, you would not believe the amount of swearing that came out of Bob Willis's mouth. It sounds <laughs> it was, like a very niche story, this. <laughs> it's just, honestly, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Bob Willis, you just got everyone calling him Uncle Bob. Fucking hell, no, bastard. How are you going to pick the bastard? I can't even put the bastard things in me, bastard chicken. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. But what a character he was. Oh, he was, yeah. Bob was an absolute gentleman and a great guy. Um, I remember when I first started presenting, it's quite intimidating because I'm not an ex-professional player. Um, me and Charles... First class 100. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't that. Um, <laughs> me and Charles Carville, the only two sort of journalists, you would say, uh, on the presenting roster. And obviously all the pundits are all ex-players too. So uh, it's a bit of an intimidating environment when you first start out, especially when you're working with famous ex-pros. And I was a bit scared, but Bob was one of the guys who, who really sort of was extremely nice and made you feel totally relaxed, mm. wasn't suspicious of you and respected your cricketing opinion. And I'll always remember him for that. And he was also a great bloke to have a drink with. He was uh, really good fun, actually. Yeah, a yeah. Dry sense of humour <clears throat> and his on-screen persona, nothing like the guy off camera, which is a bit odd, you know, normally you get a feel for someone for what they're like when you see them on camera. But with Bob, he was a lot more friendly off camera. It was just part of his shtick, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, going back to the, the club T20. Um, yes, I would love to see that on Sky again. I would imagine that the reason why Sky stopped broadcasting it was purely because of resources and viewing figures. Maybe they felt yeah. getting enough viewing figures for the amount they were spending on it. I mean, that's why they stopped Cricket AM. Right. Uh, eventually, eventually, Sky, it wasn't just Cricket AM, but Sky axed a whole load of magazine shows in one fell swoop because they basically did a lot of research and they discovered that really the vast majority of people get Sky just for the live games. Okay. All the rest of it is, you know, guys like you and I, we're cricket nuts. So we love all the extra programming. We love all the magazine shows. You know, I used to love all of the different shows for different sports they used to do, like Revista de la Liga, Spanish football. Yeah. Um, the rugby club, rugby, uh, the boxing one. What was that called? Can't remember. Gloves are off and that kind of, well, uh, maybe before, yeah, gloves, before are gloves are off. gloves but... are off, they had another show. Um, and I used to love those <coughs> shows because they give you a, a, a a potted um, version of what's gone on in the past week mm. sport. And I haven't got time to be watching loads of Spanish football live games. So I used to like watching a two hour highlight show with a bit of chat and a few features. It was perfect. Uh, unfortunately, Sky made the decision that they want to put all of their resources into live sport. And that's the way they've gone. So now there's, they've now recreated a few magazine shows, but they're one's, you don't have to spend much money on like the debate just get yeah. in the studio and you yeah. have a VT and it's pretty simple. So I, I would imagine that it's unlikely that Sky would go back to broadcasting something like the club T20 challenge live. 
Right, okay. They made a decision now to just put all their money into live professional broadcast. Professional sport, yeah. yeah and they, they would probably probably sort of bracket that in the same grouping as magazine shows, I would say. I think it's a real shame because I think, you know, shows like that just give your coverage a little bit of difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a point of difference. A bit of diversity. Yeah. yeah, totally. It's something different. And, and, and also, you know, you, those shows are interesting and those, those live club games are interesting because you get some very good players playing who in the future... Yeah, and become England players. I think Gary Balance, I remember, played one year. Um, yeah, who else? Uh, did Dom Sibley play? I think Sibley. Well, the lad, so he came down, didn't he? he didn't play. The, the 2012. He played. Tom Bailey played 2012 against us in the final. He's now playing for Lanks. Luke Wood played against us in the semi-final for Cookney. He's now playing for Lanks. Uh, Billy Root played for us for Cookney. We are ex-pros, Will Butler, Richard Stroh, ex-pros. He's got, he got a contract at Hampshire off the back of that finals day. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, there's, there's, there's some real, real good cricketers. I mean, look, obviously I played, so there's some crap mixed in. But, you know, there are some really, really good <laughs> cricketers. Um, but, Matt, honestly, your insight and your honesty about everything we've talked to you about tonight has been absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, respected broadcaster, uh, a mammoth of the broadcasting world. Mammoth, a titan. Titan, <laughs> behemoth. Behemoth <laughs> of the broadcasting world. Uh, first class 100 for Oxford, earning himself a blue with a 2-1 in classics. Uh, Matt Floyd, everybody, thank you so, so much. Uh, we're now going to take anywhere up to 10 quid off you, which is going to be matched by Eugene Berger. Um Five questions. Simon's going to ask you five questions. Uh, you need the exact answer. It's two pounds per question. Okay. So if you get okay. them all wrong, you give a tenner and you gives a tenner to the Lord's tabs. Okay. Okay. If you get three you right, you got this. What you like your cricket info stats? Absolutely. What you like your cricket info stats, Matt? Oh. Uh, find out. <laughs> Could be a tenner though. So, according to Play Cricket, sorry, not Cricket Info, Play Cricket, your high score for Hampstead is 130, not out. Who was it against and what year was it in? He knows who it's against, but that year, what year has <laughs> just really stuffed him up. <laughs> is it Richmond? Ooh. What year? And then 12. It was against Finchley, second team, in 2014. I think you did all right. Having looked at your scores, you did well against Richmond in 2012. I, oh, that was I? that was was a game I was looking at to try and find a stat from. So, Sorry, you, so who, was, who was it against then? It was Finchley. Against... Finchley oh, in 2014. Oh, always get runs against Finchley. Good try. <laughs> I thought I was doing the answers, but never mind. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. <laughs> Ruin that. It's all right, guys. Let's squabble. <laughs> That's what so, we do. Court, we do again, again uh, according two, to... Simon. I'll, I'll, do, you want, do you want to do the question and the answer on this no, one? No, no, no. You crack so, on. I'll carry on. Okay. This is a shambles, guys. Like Come on. We're in it together. <laughs> <laughs> according to Play Cricket, again, you have hit 269 fours for Hampstead. But how many sixes have you hit? Oh, my God. This is really geeky, isn't it? Um, no, it's just going to cost you a tenner. <laughs> we, we just pick the most awkward questions. <laughs> not many. I, I, I've not got my pen out. 
power, I'll be honest. I'm a corpse with pads, for God's sake. You know, <laughs> um, I will go for 23. Ooh, 16. I've over the pudding there. <laughs> a little bit. I'm, I'm obviously even less powerful than I thought. He's <laughs> on, boundar- on some boundaries with trees inside You're the ground, the so it would have gone that. for six, but it had to be four. I've been watching Jim Carter's garden. Having watched him play it, the one game I watched him play at Tring this year, lovely batsman to watch. All the stro- He's a stroke maker. He's not a whacker. He's a stroke player. Yeah. Long the ground. Question three. Question three. In 2016, you had a stellar, almost Bradman-esque season average of 94. Good effort. Oh, did I? But, but how many not outs did you have? Oh, can you give me I'll give it. So, I played. Three hundred and seven. Uh, <laughs> you you had yeah. five innings. Oh. He's going to get this. Is it an average of ninety-four? Jeez. It's still pretty good. But it's still pretty good. I'd average three. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, I reckon I had two not outs. Damn it! Right. Uh, correct. I'll still oh, give oh. the two pounds. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we, we play, we play properly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sorry, question four, Simon. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. In 2010, a strong year for you again. Um, what was your most common form of dismissal? Court. Incorrect. Stumped. You've been stumped. Sorry, John, I've done you again. You've been stumped five times in your career. Three of them were in that year. Really? Right. Mm. See? <laughs> Running down the track. Char- so the charging down the track by the sounds of it, yeah. <laughs> charging down Eugene and with it. it with his filthy offies. <laughs> I love this. You're right. Eugene's had so much stick tonight, and he's basically said about three sentences. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Lloyd, yeah. he's just shooed him all night. <laughs> 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 this season. Yeah. That, that horrible wicket at Twickenham, just firing it into this Bunsen burner. <laughs> the nicest man in South West London, and Floyd is just absolutely <laughs> shooed him all night. New one. <laughs> it gets, it gets better you because you're on the, uh, the Middlesex Premier League uh, podcast yet, but yeah. just, I'm waiting for the call. <laughs> this week. is just the warm-up, mate. This is yeah, just the warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, question five, Mr Roberts. <laughs> in uh, this season just gone, you played against our very own Eugene version, putting on a massive... 146 for the third wicket with Robert Keane, who obviously made Bus made a good player because he got 100 and you got 82. But how many runs did Eugene Berger get? Oh, I think he got 16. Oh, no. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I was trying my best for you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> really was trying. Anybody who's watching on YouTube will be like, oh my God, how did he get that wrong? <laughs> uh, I, was just, I, was... I was just trying to big him up after I've been you know, the whole last hour. I thought I'd do I something mean, nice. My answer sheet says, naught run out trying to scurry off the mark. I've known you a long time and I've never seen him scurry in all that time. No, no. I know, I've seen the scorecard and I know who he was batting with. And yeah. there's, there's not a lot of running going off between them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, I can't remember the dismissal. 
left-hander Blake hit one oh, straight to mid-wicket. <laughs> called me through. I was halfway down the way. It was like, well, okay. There's no, there's no point in me even running. Yeah, I might as well just go back to the change room. Yeah, was it a direct hit or was it just like underarm slowly and fumbled and then yep. tails off and you just... Yep, yep. basically. Yeah, it was one oh. of those where, uh, yeah, it was just, I was sold down the river. I didn't face a ball. I think, yeah, I was in for about two minutes. It was fun. <laughs> it's funny because so, after you went out, he said it was all your fault. You just didn't... <laughs> it I still like had a... that word with him. <laughs> That, very, that sounds, sounds like, like, like a very blakey thing to say, actually. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you've got to be able to see there, Matt. Um, so, Matt, Matt Floyd owes the Lord's Taverners £8, and that will be matched by Eugene Berger, offering yep. them £16, on top of all of the wonderful donations that our great listeners have offered this week. Uh, Matt Floyd, what an absolute pleasure to speak to you. You're a gent for coming on. Uh, your company's been fantastic over the last hour and a half. Thanks Loved so much, it, and, and we look forward to um, getting you involved in the slogging at eleven as we uh, as we oh, embark yeah. on that this year. That's going to be amazing. So yeah, can't wait to well see you score hundred in real life. <laughs> well up for that. Well, I won't score many runs, but I'll, I'll have a few. I'll be good in the changing room <laughs> if, if we're allowed in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course, socially distanced. Of course, me and two Sorry. others. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Top cheers, man. Man. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Looking for a new cricket equipment partner for yourself or your club can sometimes be tricky with so many options to choose from. How do you make the right choice? When you want quality, value and service, there really is only one place to start. For more than a decade, Woodstock Cricket have been producing award-winning, high-performance cricket bats from their Shropshire workshop. Matched with their classy soft goods, luggage and accessories, Woodstock Cricket really do tick all the boxes. Get in touch with Woodstock Cricket and find out why many loyal clubs, players and international customers can't be wrong at info at woodstockcricket.co.uk. Thank you again and as always to our uh, partners Woodstock Cricket for their continued support. Um, brilliant interview for me last night. Really, really enjoyed it. I've been very open about the fact that I've you know, really, really enjoyed the one with Luke, but the number of things from last night that I, you know we've spoken off air and really want to talk about you know that came out of last night so three in, we'll go through them in order um the idea of unconscious bias i think you know was struck a chord with all of us um and obviously we spoke to Matt quite a lot after the interview um you know think when you think about it consciously it it happens and I think everybody is guilty of it. I think I'm guilty of it in, in, in certain situations. Not that I think that's necessarily acceptable or right, but I think it, you know, it happens. And I think that if everybody was able to admit that to themselves a little bit, you know, it, it kind of makes the world a, a slightly better place. But I, I think, you know, certainly it was an important point for you to as well that he recognised that. Yeah, I mean, it's it makes you... I think a lot of this the chat when it it's come to the BLM stuff across uh, last summer and this sort of thoughts of unconscious bias is it really makes it's made me really assess my own behaviors and thoughts and everything that goes with it and I've never sort of been someone I've never considered myself to to look at anyone differently or in any way shape or form treat anyone differently but you uh, it, it's for me it's, it's two things 
there's obviously the conscious stuff that people talk about, which is horrific. That's flat out wrong. The content, but this unconscious thing. It, I thought about it last night, and it's this thing. Of, I think the only thing I can kind of put it down to is a comfort type thing. You you see people when you get into if if you rock up to a university, for example. I we I live very close to Nottingham University, and different ethnicities, different countries people of different nationalities sorry and will, will naturally congregate together so so I, I think part of it is a is a totally it, I, I want to be surrounded by people who i know are, the, are similar to me mm. and that's not that that is a very different thing to the, the the very conscious stuff but when it kind of crosses that barrier of impeding other people or preventing them having the same circumstances or getting the same opportunities mm. it's a it's a very difficult one to try and to try and get people to see and get people to look at because yes part of it might be a comfort thing but you've got to kind of you've got to physically try and change that basic hu- yeah. that basic mentality and that's not that's instilled into people that's from a very very young age mm. you, you'll see it when you go to schools lads hang out with lads girls hang out with girls yeah. it's just it's at, at that very young age it's a familiarization thing isn't it yeah. as well as a you know having you know perceived more in common with lads wanting to be around lads or girls wanting yeah. to be more around girls uh mm. huge what are your thoughts mate yeah, I, I, look, I've, I've heard unconscious bias before. Um, I've actually been through training to change my mindset at work. Um, I work in a very male-dominated environment in technology, and um, gender was a big thing. So we went through some training, um, the leadership team, um, must have been about five years ago, so I've, I've been through this. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, it's it's something that I think is, is hugely important that the world needs to understand. Um it's really interesting though. I was thinking about, I've always put myself in these scenarios where I try and take myself out of that. And I suppose I did it when I first moved to the UK, because as you will all know, um, when people move to the UK, every South African moves to Wimbledon. Because that's South, where all Southwest the South Africans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I made the conscious choice not to live in Wimbledon. And I suppose the reason for that was I wanted to, to experience other um, nationalities, i.e. Yeah. the English and everyone else. So I ended up living in um, areas like Esher and uh, Twickenham um, for most of the years. And fortunately, by some chance, I've actually ended up in southwest London, close to close to Wimbledon. It just happens to be so. But I suppose that's that's something that, you know, it will be good to to challenge each other on and specifically yeah. on a cricket field. It was interesting, Matt, talking about like um, the Middlesex League, of which of which I play in, you know, in that there's a lot of Asian uh, cricket players, uh, yeah. a lot of Asian clubs. And I mean, you know, I, I think about Twickenham, um, you know, our first and second 11 probably have at least four or five Asians per side. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose where we, my thoughts on this are, is my unconscious bias and where I'm thinking about people that are like me is either, you know, somebody that really enjoys their cricket, somebody that um, enjoys to have a beer after the game, or not, for that matter, because yeah, we do yeah, have yeah. people in the club that don't drink. So, yeah, um, I was going to make a bit of a joke about it and say it's people that like to score runs, but I didn't score very mun- many runs last year. So, And, uh, yeah, I mean, Audi aren't a sponsor, so we shouldn't really call them out uh, like exactly. that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like Jack Leach getting free uh, free glasses for life. Huge is now on free A4s for the rest of his life. Um, 
the the thing the other thing that I got from it is like um and I, I this there's this term of casual racism gets bandied about, doesn't it? And it, you know, it it happens a lot, you know. It, not and and people say, oh well, you know, it's casual racism, it's funny. Um, but you know, as someone who's been a victim of it, uh, you know, not that I care. Like you know, one of one of the funniest things that happens to me every year is one of my real good mates, for, who's a, who's a Kiwi lad, who's moved back, always just to wind me up, said I look like Inzi. So with it being my birthday today, on the dot at midnight, a new photo of Intermammal Hack got posted on my Facebook saying, happy birthday, Jono. But it's a running joke and and that's great and it's fine. But, you know, you can understand why other people might take offence at it. Um, You know, there's other things that get said, uh, you know, and you just, you wouldn't, if you don't know someone that well, it's like, well, hold on. Like, I haven't. You you kind of you haven't really got the right to do that, and then you know, yeah. uh, and and so it it can be perceived, it's, and it's not whether you actually mean it; it's how the other person perceives it. I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah, it's not about whether you actually you're trying to be funny or you're not trying to be mean or you're not trying to be rude to someone. What you think doesn't matter; it's how the other person receives it that actually is. You know, they are, and it's their right alone to decide whether they think it's a problem or not. Um, so I think that you know people should consider that. It, look, if you if you've been mates with, mates with someone for fifteen years, and uh, you know as I have with this lad, and that's just a thing, and that's and and it's I've said that that's funny and it's acceptable, then fine, crack on. But if you don't know someone that well yet, you decide to make remarks of a similar style nature, then maybe you're kind of stepping out of line a little bit uh, yeah, and I need think- to reassess it. It's about how it's about the intent behind it. For, for yeah. me, when and I obviously being of the, the skin tone that I am, I've got no clue of how it like feels like to be racially abused. I can't even begin to understand it, and I don't claim to at any stage be able to understand how that must feel. But I, most of you guys, don't know, I'm I'm hard of hearing, and what? I can remember. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, that's, that's 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 fine. It's Jono. Um, I'll call him Inzamam again later. <laughs> uh, but but it is that kind of like people. It, it's weird because the first time I, I got diagnosed with hearing, the first time I made took the Mickey out of me for it, I felt normal. It felt normal to have that done to me. But then I can remember I was at Ascot Racecourse, and someone made a comment. Now I did hear who it was. I, got my death aids in and I didn't quite I felt I can remember now going hang on and he was a little guy little weedy fella that obviously all his mates stood behind him and someone said to him oh go on go and take the piss out of that lanky streak of piss over there with hearing aids in and he made some wild comment talking about my sunglasses uh, they're adjustable by the gauges on the back which when I think about it, it's actually mildly amusing, but like it's it's just the fact that he had no right, yeah, he had yeah. absolutely no right to say that to me. And I think that's the thing. He meant that in a mal in a malicious way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like yeah. taking the piss. Yeah. Are you this kind of person? And I think if you're doing it in a malicious way, any comment anyone that's meant with malice behind it yeah. is is wrong, especially when it's something that they have no control over yeah 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 i think so, if, it, if it's meant in any way to belittle someone then it's a problem 
Yeah, uh, correct. And if you know, if you've got your own insecurities or whatever, and feel like that you have to, you know, target other people, or get other people to make yourself feel better, then you know, you've got more problems than the rest of us. Uh, yeah. That's my view on it. But yeah, I think look, I'm glad we've raised it. Um, just because you know, we raise these things not because we're trying to tell people that how they behave is wrong. Everything we're trying to do is support as many people as we can. But you know, if by this being said, someone goes, "Oh, maybe I do do that a little bit, and maybe I, I need to change that a little bit." Then again, that you know, it, it's a it's a positive <coughs> step that's been made. I, I suppose from my point of view, John, the way. The... Yes, it's important to talk about it. And there's a reason for that, because sometimes people feel uncomfortable challenging what people have said. Mm. And from my perspective, you know, if, if somebody said something to you, for an example, about you being, you know, um, of a different um, color and, and you didn't reply, I'd reply on behalf of you. You don't, I, I didn't, I don't need to do that. But, you know, I don't think they have the right to say anything about that. You know, uh, casual racism, from my perspective, is, is really not on. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of it. I, you know, I don't don't endorse it in any sort of way, or for, for any disability, for that matter. Um, and I suppose it's it's you know if we can if we can ask people, because it's important to talk about it. You know, think about what what people are saying, and and you know some people won't stand up for themselves because they feel they might be further. Um, yeah, sometimes it's easier just to kind of blend in and not and not challenge stuff, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It's, funny, I just thought of something. So like. Simon, obviously being hard of hearing, tells a joke, and that's all. And it and it's a, it's a joke about a deaf person, and it's and it's brilliant and it's funny. Um, but because of his situation, he, he's almost he's almost taking the Michael out of himself a little bit, and so and he will do that within an environment and people with which he's comfortable. I think that's almost the marker for me. That was the marker for in our relationship, in our you know friendship, where if you say that, if you tell me that joke in that context. Then it's like okay, he's cool enough with me that we we can address this and we talk about it and it's fine and then you move on and then you know and and but I think it's just it's just right for people to be very aware of not what they feel they can and can't say but think about the other person's exactly. maybe not outward but maybe inward reaction to what you're saying. I think yeah. there's a, there's a couple of bits on the, like the the. The Joe Carto, and quite often a lot of these comments are based around ill-educated stereotypes. Yeah. And if if that's the case, then it reflects far worse on anybody who doesn't experience it. Like a lot of people who do, uh, I, I do the uh, the voice, yeah, which is rubbish. It's something. It's a stereotype that's come from the nineteen seventies. That that's how people with who are hard of hearing or whatever speak and it and it's bullshit fundamentally the majority significant majority of people who have hearing issues speak perfectly normally yeah but but like and it's the same when it it, it goes back it's um yeah it is if you know if i'm having a conversation with you jono you know where i stand on things yeah, yeah and then yeah. You, you will you know a joke is a joke yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's not coming from a place of malice and the second thing we're talking about um when it comes to people speaking about it is me and you have had some conversations talking about race and and things like that and i've had some conversations with uh, some other people talking about uh, okay because there, there is confusion there is confusion like what words are what words can be appropriate what what things can be said like kind of but there's some blatantly obvious ones that are massive no-goes but then there's somewhere almost a bit like we've had with 
the coronavirus, the messaging that comes out has changed yeah. over time. Um, I can remember when I was growing up, the, the, the term coloured was encouraged. It was, it, it was the, the word that should be used. Now, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Unless, unless you decide with a certain demographic in South Africa, but that's that's slightly different. So, I think there's like a lack of education and a lack of understanding. But going on what this program's about is talking about those issues and being able to have those conversations. I say, yeah. as I had a conversation with you about it, and it's it works from both parties. It people have got to be able to accept the conversation and go right. I might hear something that I might not like. Yeah. But I know this person's talking to me about it because they want to improve. Mm. And the person who's having the conversation has got to start the conversation because you've you've got to want to improve. Yeah, I, I think the, even the thing with kind of casual, you know, let's deal with the racism side of it. it. It's it's weird because often, even if it's perceived to be meant as a joke, it's always um, almost kind of guided at the the person who's in the minority within the group. Yeah. So therefore, exactly. it's not really casual racism because it's like well. All right, one white lad's not going to go and be casually racist to a group of ten black fellows, <laughs> like because it just and and so there's almost like a a position of strength within a group that makes X, Y, or Z feel that they can be casually mm. racist, which therefore kind of makes it racist. Um, you know, it's just like, but if you say it with a smile on your face, you, you think you're more likely to get away with it. I'm not saying that everybody who does make casually racist or otherwise comments are inherently racist or otherwise um, negative about people with, with different situations. But I just think it's really important that everybody kind of goes, well, hold on, you know, yeah. rather than what yeah. I think, it, what I think is acceptable to say, how is the person who's receiving that information going to react to it? Not only outwardly, but also inwardly. Um, the, the second thing I, I think we were massively um, impressed by with Matt and it, we, we didn't, Obviously, we talked to guests about what we're going to ask them and stuff and talk to them about whatever. When he talked about therapy, you know, the three of us kind of looked at each other on the Zoom calls if say, hold on, when we weren't expecting this. But it was amazing. And for him to be yeah. so open about that without being prepped and asked, or, you know, we didn't know that was going to happen. And I think that, you know, we've spoken about it again. Like it, it, it shows us that for someone who's a, a broadcaster or a personality, if you like, who's felt like they could come onto our podcast and talk that openly about it. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, for somebody to speak so openly considering, you know, I think he raised it himself when we were on the call to say, you know, he hasn't worked in anger for over a year yeah, and he yeah. needed somebody to talk about He needed somebody to talk to. And I like the way you phrased the question there, Jono, in that, you know, did you have, did you talk to friends or did you actually get professional help? And, you know, Matt said, yeah, I mean, both, but but more importantly, he wanted to speak to somebody professional. And the main reason behind it was they've got answers as to how to deal with certain things in certain situations where the likes of you, me or Robbo, you know, we'll, 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 we'll listen and we'll lend the ear. But we probably might not say the best thing or the, the, the right thing at the right situation where a therapist does. So we'd come yeah, to our I'm, answers, wouldn't we? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so let's say if it was Robbo, because obviously we're, we're having this conversation at this very moment in time. If Robbo came to us and said, oh, I'm having a problem with this, obviously we try and give him the best answers that we can, but we also won't perhaps be incredibly straight with him because if he's feeling pretty low, you don't want to almost kind of, you know, give him another knock to the blow to the head, if that makes sense. Whereas, you know, more 
professionally capable to deal with these issues, but these professionals who've trained and know how to deal with it will be at times pretty brutal um, yeah. and say, right, actually, no, so, you know, th- this is what you need to be thinking about. This is how you need to address it. Um, the way that you're dealing with it at the minute is simply not working. And, you know, it's that kind of cruel to be kind thing, isn't it? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've got friends like that, a lad I used to play cricket for and live with. Um, you know, he's often talked about as being a bit harsh and a bit straight down the line and stuff. But I'll tell you what, there wasn't a single minute, there hasn't been a single minute in the in all the time that I've known him, that I've known not known exactly where I stand with him. Um, yeah. and, and so if more people could be a bit more like that, then the world would probably be an easier place in which to survive. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought Matt, Matt doing that, uh, Simon, I'm sure you've got a view on it, you know, coming on and talking I, so openly about it. I, was amazing. I thought it was amazing. Like you say, completely unprompted to, to talk about the fact that he sought, sought therapy and, and that type of thing. I actually had an interesting chat with my mum about it today and, um, talking about how easy is it, 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 how easy it is to speak to friends and I think the problem is when you speak to friends and it's like yeah Johnny you said to me about when I did my episode in episode three um it, it's hard it's hard when it's one of your friends and yeah yeah so especially if depending on what the subject is but it's also hard to give a clear response because you are emotionally invested in that person especially if it's a spouse or a partner or whatever a a really close friend so it's and and you will automatically have an emotional reaction well from certainly from my experience of of therapy and what matt's was it's that that like clarity when you um when you say that the things come out and that person goes bang and you kind of go yep oh yeah 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 yeah. you're you're not saying that because i'm your mate i want you to say that yeah yeah Yeah, exactly you're you're saying that you're saying that because that's actually an issue and you go away and you kind of think and that and that in it for me it happened in session one when i was taking talking to my person and like it's 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 really helpful to have that um brutal honesty makes people feel uncomfortable though doesn't it this is the thing because you know there's a the way that the world is now everybody's kind of you know it's a bit you know there's that whole snowflake thing isn't there like you know everybody wants to be nice to everybody and i get that but and and look the world should be a nice place in which to you know survive and and be and enjoy life and whatever but at times you know when that when that kind of straight talking thing is needed but you know, as you say, with someone that you care deeply about, friends, family, whatever, you you have that subconsciously. I think consciously you're thinking, right, okay, I really need to help them. But subconsciously, your brain's going, protect them, protect them, protect them, because yeah, yeah, you correct. love them and you're their friends or partners or whatever. Um, you know, it's a it's a, it's a real difficult balance, I think, in, in to to find. Like huge uh, and I spoke obviously with what huge went through recently and. You know, I reached out to Huge quite a lot just to, you know, again, as one of my best pals, just to make sure he's okay and stuff. But while we were having these conversations, I, I was, I never felt guilty for saying stuff. But, you know, there was a conversation where we were talking about, you know, what are the next steps with his dad? Because his dad now lives in, a, you know, on his own in a, in quite a remote place. And I consciously was saying to Huge, look, you might have to have a conversation that you feel might be, that you don't leave this 
or don't leave time to run before having that conversation because if you do things just almost become normal and then it's very difficult to maybe change that situation so yeah and I, I don't think before doing this podcast I would have been able to do that because I'd have just gone protect you protect you protect you and as though it was positioned and it was absolutely done from a place of love it was you know a very honest thing and say you know actually try and make people think about other things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise see during that time of need um and I think that you know I'm not saying that I'm a better friend to use the because through doing that or not but i think it is the right way to try and help cajole people along through difficult times to, to try and help them come out the back end of it in a, in a better place yeah i mean i totally agree Jono. um sometimes sometimes you need tough love if i'm really honest um you know the truth hurts a lot of the time and and unfortunately there's nothing we can do about you know certain situations what's happened has happened so from my perspective it was great to hear that and you know get your support and not only yours i mean there was a lot of people that phoned when 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 mum passed away so you know all the messages and all of that sort of stuff and and it's crazy how many other people are going through the same scenario and i, I sort of mentioned to this you guys all fair in my current team at work during the christmas period um three of us had a parent of uh, a death of a parent so wow, wow it's um it was just one of those where it's just you know you, you're not you're not alone when it comes to that sort of stuff and yeah. I, i'm not saying that it's you know it offers you a bit of um condolences and all of that sort of stuff but from my perspective it's it's something that that happens in life um and yeah I, like i said i'm just really glad that you know you guys offered the support you did and managed to speak to you guys on the phone and you know just just hearing those voices but as I said to people, sometimes you just need time with these sort of things. So, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. as much as the truth is important and, you know, you need to move on, it, it also you also need a bit of time on your side. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, any, anybody, you know, we say, we say this every week on the podcast, like, you know, it's always better to reach out and, and never necessarily be thanked directly by someone for reaching out than to not reach out at all. Um, mm. You know, today is Tuesday. Yesterday was Blue Monday um you know which is globally known as you know the the toughest day of the year um people's bills have come in for january and, and whatever and uh people find this time of year incredibly difficult you know in any given year and and you know obviously more so this year considering everything that's that's happened it'll be the first time that we've experienced one of these days whilst in a global pandemic so again we we implore you to reach out to people who you think may be having a tough time and, and just offer that support or just offer an ear um you know and it, and it and and that can make a massive difference for people um the third thing that we wanted to cover off um you know it was 2021 we obviously heard matt speak about what he thinks 2021 looks like um you know we we've, we've spoken about it between the three of us you know off air but you know, my my personal view is, and you know, you just you know, heavily involved with the, the uh, Middlesex League. Um, from a purely cricketing perspective, I'd love to see a full season. I've like turned you know thirty eight today. I haven't got that many years left. Uh, I mean, I bowl absolute dobbers anyway. Let's be honest. So I don't, you know, it's not like I run <laughs> run into hard anymore. But you know, I just I just want to enjoy cricket as much as I can for as long as I can. You know, um, and so very hopeful of getting as much of a season as as we can um, but i think we're all just praying for a more positive um year aren't we you know hopefully the vaccines work um and you know work work across all these different variants of the the uh, virus and what have you but 
Um, you know, Eugene, firstly, what, what are you kind of, you know, say looking forward to or, or really hoping that we're going to see come out of this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm glass half full in this. Um, you know, I, I, reading the press i don't believe everything i read but you know you've got to take some if it, where they smoke there's fire if they're talking about stuff that's good news i mean we've already had three and a half million people vaccinated um, they're talking about having all adults vaccinated by the middle of july and yeah. considering we didn't have a vaccine and we still managed to play three months of cricket last year yeah. i'd like to think that you know come the beginning of may when when most leagues start across um across the country i know some start in in, in april I'd like to think that there's, you know, we're going to be able to play cricket um, safely. I think we're going to have the same rules and guidelines that we had last year. So social distancing, hand sanitizing, um, no use of change rooms, bring your own uh, tea, uh, no shower facilities. I think that's still going to continue. And then as and when, you know, the guidelines change, so cricket clubs will, will follow. So from my perspective, I'm glass half full and, you know, at Twickenham, I know, you know, we're preparing for, for, for cricket season to start uh, on time. Um, and, and, and hopefully that's the case. Um, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's mentally important for a lot of people, um, yeah, yeah. you know, to get out and spend time in, on a cricket field. It's a form of exercise. Um, yes, you get to socially, you know, get involved with people from a distance. Um, it's like golf. So yeah, um, in my perspective, I, I think I, I'm glass half full. Brilliant. Yeah, Sai, what are your uh, thoughts and plans and aspirations for the year? Well, I mean, my cricket season is going to depend on my personal situation with a baby due. So we'll see how much I can play. But like, I, I just think I, we mentioned it on the the podcast yesterday. Jono obviously talked about administrators. I, I think we've not. They don't get enough credit. They like you said yesterday. They get shot down. Um, I know I've got a bit of a personal interest in this. My mum is a cricket administrator, and um, I, to be fair, I've she I'm is the fairly... badgeress. Yeah, mean, yeah, she is unbelievable. I love her. I will sit and talk to Steph Roberts <laughs> about cricket for hours. Like you know, <laughs> she's just wonderful. Yeah, she's. It's but they put the amount of work that they put in to get in what cricket we had last year, and like you just says, we had no fundamentally a lot of people even down to the fact that the leagues work together and I didn't know this till today that one of the leagues in Nottingham cancelled all its Sunday fixtures to make sure that teams could get Saturday fixtures in yeah like so leagues individual leagues are sacrificing themselves so that other leagues can be completed and the way that administrators work together was a, a massive tip of the cap and stuff to them um my interest 20 i I love going and watching club cricket. Uh, I'm fortunate I've played enough of it. So even if I'm not playing, and I hope I get to play a couple of games, um, given my personal situation, I'll go down and watch games. I'll stroll around the boundary. Um, I'm hoping I get to be able to do that no matter what. So for me, there's more than just the playing side of it. Mm. Um, it's Cricket is a massively important thing to a, a, a large part of the community when you think of gets groundsmen out, it gets some of the older chaps, uh, the Muppets, as people like to affectionately call them, um, out and watching cricket. They've got a reason to get out of the house and maybe take a two or three cans of lager. And even if it's just sitting on the side on a bench and sit there with a picnic or whatever, it it helps so many people. Mm. Um, and like you say, that, that mental side of stuff. So uh, I, I just hope something happens. Um I, like I said to you guys, the one thing I've not done in cricket is score a hundred, and if I can do that, I'll happily 
do that and walk off and I'll never be seen well, in white well, again. Yeah, I mean, you, well, let's just quantify that. Like, Robbo, no word of a lie, said to me the other week, well, if I get 100 and we need five to win and we're nine down, I'm still walking off. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not sure that is would be the... No, probably no. not the best time to declare. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. 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 That's it, boys. Yeah, retired, <laughs> retired, retired. Yeah, <laughs> Throw, throwing my kit at yeah, people exactly. as we go off. You can have that. You can <laughs> yeah. have that. No, it's... I think I've the one thing last year did in the amount of cricket I played is I got a buzz back for it. I've not I've not played for a while, um, for various different reasons to be honest. And as I said in my episode, I fell out with cricket because it was a something that um, it I you thought pain, didn't it really? You know, it it yeah, it caused me a lot of pain. So, um, but now I I realise it's not the cricket that caused me pain. It was my own issues, shall we say? And last year I played four or five games. I was terrible, but um, I got out stumped when we were nine down and needed five to win. That's embarrassing in one game, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but um, until we but got yeah. Greg Nielsen on, mate, that, that's a story about being nine. Down, <laughs> let me tell you, let it go, Jono. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I felt I enjoyed it again. I'm looking forward to netting as and when we can. Um, yeah, the old the seamers are going. Not there. Right, you're not bowling that. flat, horrible off spin. It's like, no, Mate, it's, it's, I, anything no. that keeps my big toes and my back functioning, I'm, I'm going with. Yeah. And I can't straighten my right arm anymore, can I? So, off spinners are the way forward. Get the old, the old bent arm dubras out. Huh? Any, you, are you are you turning fifty soon? No, I'm thirty. I'm thirty eight in two weeks, mate. <laughs> mate, this side for those of you on podcast, my right hand side is knackered. Literally knackered. My sh- my collarbone sticks out the top of this shoulder. I can't straighten my right arm. My right ankle is fused and fixed. It doesn't go anywhere. Left hand side, still all right, apart from the big toe when I bowl for more than three overs. That's so, it. It goes to show that when he's playing golf, because he can clear his left hand side, and that's why he ends up hooking everything. Yeah, that's why everything goes. <laughs> Very good. Great left. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, look, yeah. we, we've we've covered a huge amount. Uh, you know, I have one tonight. quick question, Let. Yeah, go on. go on. How was it like interviewing the interviewer? I t- do you know what? He he made it incredibly easy. I thought. Yeah. You know, he he was just um, very very open. Um, a pleasure to talk to. You know, I, I've I've played a couple of games of cricket for the tabs with Matt, and he he's very very approachable. Really nice guy. Not standoffish at all. Uh, I found it really interesting when he was talking about the guys. Uh, I can't remember if he's on the pod or off the pod when he was talking about some of the kind of real legends of the game that he's um, he's worked with and what have you, and what the differences are between different personalities and what have you. Um, couldn't find a nicer bloke. Uh, really happy to offer his time to anybody. Um, and yeah, he's just a good egg. Uh, he's just a really nice bloke. Obviously, he's got a first-class 100, which is phenomenal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, a two-one in classics from, you know, one of the greatest universities in the world. And uh but there's none of the none of the airs and graces that you know some would necessarily uh, think would go along with that. He's just yeah, a agreed, normal, down to earth, nice lad. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll echo that massively. I had to Google what classics was today. That shows my level of education. I didn't even bother that. I didn't even bother doing that. I, I just know it's something that I'd never have been able to read. Have read so. <laughs> old stuff, old stuff, Greek, Latin, oh, right, and the history okay. of it. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I had to find out what that was. But now it was. I think we've been really fortunate with a lot of the guests we've had on. Um, 
certainly, I mean, he knows what it's like to interview people and he knows that we are not professionals. Yeah. So he's, he goes into it and he's, he makes it, he's the same as when we were interviewing Max and Toby, they, they know how to make an interview easy. Mm. And I think they've been very nice to us. We've been really fortunate so far that all the guests that we've had on have been pretty easy to talk to and, 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 and really engaging and none of them go. So what is your favorite moment in cricket? 2005? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, oh, right, okay. uh, it's probably um, going to uh, happen. It's probably oh, going to yeah. happen at some point. We I think we all know who it might be with as well, but we don't. I'm going to say that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a fair chance. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, look, I, I, yeah, great to talk to Matt. Um, you know, follow him on social media, get in touch with him. Like, you know, if you, if you enjoyed listening to what he had to say, I, you know, I know that he'd be happy to to kind of engage with people and whatever. He, he is a, a nice bloke, just because, you know, something that's taught me a lot about doing stuff. People just have different jobs. Everybody has the same problems, and everybody goes through the same shit. Um, and you know, good people are good people. It doesn't matter whether they earn ten quid a week or ten million a week. If you're fundamentally decent inside and out, then that that's what um, you know. That that that's. Uh, and he's and he's absolutely one of those people. Um, and the, and we've got a top three batter for the slogging it eleven. Yes, we have. Yes, yes. We have. Um, so yeah, Matt's, Matt's confirmed that he's going to come and play in one of our uh, our game against the fire service that we will talk about in due course. Um, but yeah, thank you uh, again. Um, I must mention Big Smoke, uh, who are our uh, brewery partner, um, and so thank you to them for their continued support. Um, thanks for being with us. Uh, look, keep keep engaging, keep talking to us. Uh, let us know who you want to hear from, what you want to hear about. Um, thanks for putting up with us. Thanks, more importantly, for putting up with Simon tonight because someone shoved a tenner in him just before he uh, before he came on air. Um, but yeah, thank, thanks to you two as always. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Absolutely. Good work. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.